Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside my co-founder, Mr. Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if you have not checked out my YouTube videos yet, be sure to go check it out. Hit that subscribe button. It will notify you every time that we upload a video. We have over 100 different YouTube videos up now, which is kind of crazy in itself. Uh, but definitely check out our work. If you like the work we are doing here, uh, be sure to give us a rating and review on the podcast app. That helps spread the word. And every time I look on my podcast app on my iPhone and I see a new uh, rating and review, it just warms my heart. So I don't, I don't think Jeff ever looks at it, probably ever. Uh, no. Give us five stars. Give us, but if you yeah. give us five stars, just know that you're you're warming our hearts. So in today's video, we are going to be asking or answering some questions uh, from Twitter that people had asked for us in yep. the future. If you want the opportunity to be able to ask us questions, get it featured on the show, be sure to go and follow me on Twitter, and that is at Focus Compound. And every now and then, I will do a call for questions, and then we will answer as many questions uh, that we have. So um, let's kind of get right into it. So the first question comes from our friend, Ian Castle, and he asks, since you guys are value, what is the most expensive stock you've ever held based on normal fundamental valuations? Uh, that's pretty easy. We still own it. Uh, the, the most expensive one is probably uh, OTC markets. Okay. So that's OTCM is the ticker, and uh, I would say... Um, probably own it even though it's in the mid-20s p yep. something like that uh ev to ebitda would be really high yep. because it it's um uh has more free cash flow than earnings usually it has float uh so yeah i'd say that that's it it probably yeah earnings yield free cash flow yield we're probably talking four percent or something so like 25 times mm -hmm. something like that and then it grows yeah um but yeah that would probably be the most expensive. Uh, EV to sales, I'm sure, is huge. Uh, not as high as some of its like peers, if you think about, like um, what would you call them, like uh, stock exchanges? Sure. It's probably cheaper than those. But yeah, very high EV to sales. And price to book is, you know, it doesn't really have much of a book. And, and why are we okay to hold it, I guess, even though that's a more expensive price for us to hold? Uh, retention rate's probably like 90% mm -hmm. uh, or something like that, probably. Um, and it's, you know, we... we buy things over the counter. It's pretty dominant in that space. Yeah. Um, that's where everyone buys their data from that. Their biggest customer is Bloomberg. Um, so if you're using a Bloomberg or, or a Bloomberg site or any of that, the stuff you're getting from there is they're paying several million dollars a year to get information from OTC markets. Um, I guess for the same sort of reasons why someone would be okay owning like a stock exchange or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but very expensive. Yeah, for sure. Very expensive. And then we also, which we wrote about in the letter that went out today. Yeah. If you have not checked that out, go to my Twitter at Focus Compound and read our quarterly investor letter. Mm -hmm. uh, you had spoken about that we sold a stock that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, yeah. CSI Industries, ticker right. CSVI. Mm -hmm. And what do we sell that stock at for? What, Probably PE? 20, 26 times PE, something yeah, like that. Which yeah, which is a little bit more of an expensive company for us, but it, right. you know. Yeah, and we, pro we probably bought that one cheaper. <laughs> I would say, like, um, uh, then we paid for OTC markets. So I'd say we probably paid 
Uh, I think if you did like, there's no forward P on it because there's no analysts that really cover it. But if you were doing like a forward P, it would probably be about 15 times earnings, maybe a little bit less that we paid yeah. in, in that neighborhood. So, um, but we did continue to hold it till it went over 25 times P. Um, I should mention with both of them, no debt so and some cash, right? So they have uh-huh. a little cash and no debt. So technically like those PEs are, are uh, maybe a little bit cheaper if you adjust for cash. But yeah, so we probably paid... Um, 15 times earnings for that and held it till it was like 25 or something. So it's pretty expensive. Same sort of thing. That was a core processor and um, high retention rates. Um, I mean, basically with both that and OTC markets, I feel like we know it doesn't really take a lot of capital to run the business and we kind of have faith in the growth. I mean, we've talked about that before, but when we talk about pricing something, we're really looking at like what our likelihood of free cash flow plus growth is going to be. And so if I pay, um, if you see me buying something at like a 4% free cash flow yield, so like 25 times free cash flow, um, that would mean that I feel that I'm sure it's going to grow like 6% a year or something, the free cash flow. Uh-huh. So you would just see that with computer services and with OTC markets, I must have some faith that the free cash flow is going to grow by some amount that's maybe a little bit higher than single digit uh, percent per year. Cool. Uh, next question says pertaining to your cash flow episode, which is a very popular episode that we um, uploaded on the cash flow statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "Would comparing operating income to free cash flow be better now that fair value changes of stock holdings distort the income statement?" Yeah. So you should just ignore the that. Um, so net income stuff includes uh, things that have to do with changes in the stock portfolio, yeah, and things like that, and you want to ignore that. Um, and uh, yeah, operating income is usually more predictable that way and better to give you an idea of the business. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, have you ever done something very creative while researching a stock for finding crucial information? Uh, that's a really good question. I feel like... Best I, scuttlebutt you've ever done. Yeah, I feel like I have, but I, you know, uh, because we did something where we talked about this and I felt like we didn't come up with great examples of that, you know, other than like, you know, use um, Google Maps and things like that, yeah. you know? Um, so there are some things just in terms of like the accounting and stuff like that that I uh, did that you could figure out a lot of stuff without doing much impressive scuttlebutt. So for instance, I remember when I was looking to DreamWorks Animation, uh, the uh, entertainment press had said that like the uh, DreamWorks wasn't disclosing or HBO wasn't disclosing what the output deal was with them and then with Netflix, how much they're paying per movie. But actually, based on the accounting that you got from them, uh, you could tell. So you could see the receivable appear because they give you an accounting note where they say um, how they book revenue. And um, then uh, that information, like, so for instance, in that example, it might be that they said at the first time that a movie airs, we get, uh, we book revenue for the entire amount or something mm-hmm. like that. Sure. And um, so based on that information, you could look at the balance sheet each time that that happened and uh, based on their movie releases and you could actually see how much was really being paid. So like technically it wasn't known, but in fact, if you read the note carefully and looked at the balance sheet, you could see if it was, you know, 30 million or 50 million or whatever exactly was being paid. So that's an easy thing to do, and you can do that with the 10K just by reading it carefully. Um, but then there are other ones that are like more of the scuttlebutt type things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So what things do you think about with scuttlebutt? Like what do we do besides? I thought, um, I mean, okay, so for example, you use uh, looking at satellite images. Mm-hmm. Um, for Maui Land and Pineapple, we talked to a lot of realtors in the area yeah. of West Maui to kind of get an idea of what an average acre per land goes for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you wrote about in your letter uh, how we bought it, the idea for around $250,000 per acre. And every single realtor mm-hmm. that we talked to said, if you could buy an acre for 
thousand dollars, you know, per acre, um, you know, that's a huge deal because that just doesn't go. It's probably upwards of five hundred thousand uh, dollars per acre. Um, you know, other things too, really, just to learn about the business. I mean, for example, Parks America, looking and, and kind of getting the, the right. general experience through YouTube. Believe it or not, of yeah, people I'll, that have logged going to the parks. That's yeah. what I did. I spent a lot of time on YouTube. That's true. YouTube is very useful. Um, yeah. You know, just really trying just to learn about the business from the cu- the customer's point of view. So whether that is reading the reviews. Um, you know, Yelp reviews or TripAdvisor reviews, mm-hmm. um, you know, then talking to other people as well. I thought it was interesting what you did on Breeze Eastern to kind of learn about the right. the durableness of the business, right? Yeah. Um, how you spoke to competitors. Yeah. We, we talked to their customers that, and they said, like, in a couple cases... It was just the customers. Yeah, their the, customers. Their yeah, customers. Yeah, their yeah, customers. Yeah, their customers. customers. In a couple cases, they didn't know that there was a competitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because realistically, there really wasn't for the parts that they were buying and stuff. You mm-hmm. know, they would have had to switch. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's little things like that. A lot of times, it's putting together a few different pieces of information. I remember uh, there was some company where I was reading something, and uh, someone asked me, how did I know that they were leasing their land to that company? I said, actually, it's in a caption. There's a picture, and it says in the caption uh, who's what company's uh, drill that is, you know? Yeah. So that's typical, actually, reading things like captions and things, because often they'll include things whether or not they disclose that information. Um, there's lots of little things like that. We were talking about um, NACO where someone had asked, like, how did I know that they had changed the language or something on that, you know? Yeah, for um, what they asked for. I think it was for, uh, it was something to do with the natural gas royalties, royalties. wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, and I said that they had changed the language or whatever, and he was asking where you saw that and everything. And you just read it each time, and then you notice a big change in the language that way. It was pretty much, in the past, they said, it was almost as if they said, you know, it was kind of business as usual, then Mm -hmm. it was, you can expect significant royalties in the future, something along those lines, in corporate language. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then also, because uh, the the gentleman that asked, uh, we could say a useful thing that we did was have, um, you know, learn a little bit more about a Norway stock, right? Uh, yes. And that's the guy that asked about this, about have we done anything uh, creative? So maybe just to uh, learn from the individuals that may live in the area, for example, like in Hong Kong or something yeah, like that. I do that all the time. And that was something I mentioned at the Willow Oak meeting when people were asking, like, how do you find ideas yeah. and things like that? Uh, I find ideas by talking to other people about them, not by screening. Mm-hmm. It's really by talking to other people. I mean, I the best ideas you find are the ones that don't show up on a screen. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, we both agree on that. Okay, next question. Biggest investment mistake and what did you learn? And then what will you wear for Halloween? Okay, so biggest investment <laughs> mistake. Uh, I just did a podcast, just recorded a podcast. So that will come Which out. is called? Uh, my worst investment mistake? Yes, my exactly. Worst yeah. yeah. So... Um, uh, so I did that one, and it was I talked about Weight Watchers for that one, and that's a whole that's the entire podcast. So that will come out, and I don't know from the time we're recording this, so if it's a week or two weeks or something from now, but you'll put a link of that on Twitter. Yeah, I'll, I'll tweet out. Sure. Yeah. So that's just the whole time is just me talking about that one mistake. So that is a good one. What um, did you learn from it? Well, that's what we talk about on the podcast. We talk about some of the things that I learned and stuff. Yeah, no, just I mean, a little it, it, it talks about uh, we've talked about, about dad and things like that. We yes. did a very early podcast on that. Yeah, and people can listen to the new one that comes out. Um, but yeah, basically some things about debt and also about um, low customer retention and stuff. That basically people on diets aren't going to stick to those diets for very long. Yeah, and stuff like that. Those mm-hmm. are the two things I talked about. Uh, Halloween, I have not worn. Uh, I have not had a Halloween costume of any kind for uh, I'm sure over 20 years. Yeah, I'm sure since I, I don't like Halloween years. that much. You don't like Halloween nah, as a holiday? I'm kind of no. a Scrooge. I don't know why. I just don't. I've always I don't I don't like it. Yeah. I don't have a yeah. I don't do a lot of a varied wardrobe anyway. Yeah, we're boring. Okay, <laughs> uh, here's a question: Have we ever had to fire a client? How do you avoid clients not aligned with your style and time horizon who end up distracting you when things go poorly in the short run? 
So you would know better than me on this one. I believe we have not no, had we've, to fire a client. We've turned down taking a client in the first place before. Yes. Okay. Which I don't know if we should tell that story or not. But, but those, are two diff- <laughs> those are two different things. So it's, yeah. it's correct that we've never told a client that they need to leave. Yes. Is no, that correct? We, yes. But we've been, we have a great investor base. You know, I mean, I remember, I forget what it was. Maybe it was last quarter or something. I was talking to one of our, our investors who's a great client and he's been with us literally since day one. And we were texting and he's like, how's it going? Is Magic Account still for you guys? Like how, how's okay. performance? How's yeah. everything going? And I was like, well, I think, I think investing capital is still good for us. Like we're doing a good job or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's like, I really just don't ever check the account. And I'm like, okay. that's a wonderful client. Yeah. But so we, we just have a really uh, good group of investors. And I think a lot of that comes from a lot of our investors come from the podcast yeah. itself. So they know we're not selling anything. We're right. not pitching. We're not selling. We're just providing the way that we think. We're providing content. And people are naturally maybe a little bit more inclined to learn about what we're doing. But when people reach out to us, they know exactly everything pretty much. They know the way we think. They know the way that we invest. So they're buying something that they want instead of us trying to sell them. And then it's different than what they expected, I guess you could say, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So we haven't had to fire anybody. Um, you know, I think the question was, how do we guard against that? Maybe the way that we guard against it is, you know, our clients, they hear us speak twice a week on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some people like that. Um, you know, no one talks to Jeff. I don't think he's ever right, spoken to true. any of our clients. That's they true. do get letters from Jeff, uh, which was a monthly letter, but now we're bumping it up to a quarterly letter. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be a little bit more extensive and go into a lot more detail on the companies and just whatever you're thinking. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 10 times. It actually took me, what did I tell you? I think it, it took me like 30 something minutes. Yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. read it. I was like, this it used to be a short long. monthly letter. Now it'll be a long quarterly letter. Yeah. Yes. So that's uh, true. I don't talk to any of them. Yeah. I you think do. it really comes from all of our clients. Pretty much. They, they bought into it instead mm-hmm. of us selling it to them. Right. So they understood our philosophy, you know, so I think it really comes down to just really getting a good group of investors and, you know, kind of, starting with that yeah and we had had a question once before about like how do you get clients and stuff and the answer is we don't i don't know how to give the answer to that. i mean you did stuff before focus compounding which you maybe have better ideas about that but yeah. honestly people come to us because we i mean we have a website that people go to and they basically say that they want to contact you yeah because they hear us on the podcast they follow you on twitter they watch the YouTube, or they used to read stuff that I did. That's pretty much all of our clients. I yeah, mean, what and, else is there? Besides and, that? and that's it. And a lot of individuals are in the in the business themselves. Right. Um. You know, we said from the beginning that we didn't want to be asset raisers. We didn't mm-hmm. want to be salesmen. We didn't want to, you know, play that whole rainmaker game. We just wanted to be two guys that you know provide good content, put up good numbers, and then we, you know, from there everything would kind of work out, you know, on its own. And I guess that's what's happened for us and our experience yeah. so far. And. That's it. I mean, we don't want to be slick sales guys. We just want to say this is what we're doing. And if you want to join on board, awesome. If not, no worries. Yeah. And people come to us because they already know what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, when we were at that Willow Oak meeting, someone was saying, you know, um, you might not want to ask like family and stuff to raise money, like one of his pieces of advice was. Yeah. And actually, I thought that's pretty good because I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, I have some extended family people who have money that they invest in people and we've never asked them. Yeah. Um, but they're just not the, that's not the fit of what they're doing. And that's what you know? it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it just wouldn't, wouldn't occur to me that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I'm sure people have much more problems that they're getting people through, getting clients through different channels that are coming to them and that they're expecting a lot of different stuff, you know, through advisors and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's not what we do. So, yep, yep, yep. Um, how do you feel confident about paying up for a business but not overpaying for it? Is it simply by doing a DCF analysis? Yeah. So I talked about that in the quarterly letter uh, because. Uh, it's difficult. So in general, I haven't paid enough for things. I've been too willing to buy things that were cheap and not willing enough to 
uh, buy things that were to stick to just buying better businesses. Yeah. Um, but the danger with that is as you move further and further that way, you eventually end up uh, not being much of a value investor and, and, you know, doing what the mistakes that most people make. So most people, I don't know about most people listening to this, but most investors will benefit from paying lower prices than they do for stocks. Sure. Uh, buying less popular stocks, things like that. But um, it's true that for me, that hasn't been uh, the issue. So, yeah, um, I, I don't get comfortable from a DCF perspective exactly. It's um, because I don't do a DCF, but it is getting comfortable. The, the one that I talked about in the query letter is computer services. Yeah. And I said the, the, everything about that decision was easy except for just paying the price. And the price in that case was, like I said, maybe 15 times forward PE yeah. or something, uh-huh. like what I would expect next year's earnings to be. So um, that's – I don't know. What do you think? Is that not a super high price? No, no. Okay. But for me... Not for that business. With a right, business that's been okay. around for a very long time, has incredibly high retention rates, very durable. Right. So, um, you know, float. it's, it's no. things like that. So the company, you know, certainly we, ha- I had, um, could go back to the oldest annual reports that they had on their website and things like <clears> that. And in each of them, they had like 10-year past history. Yeah. And so past history, a lot of times, is a big part of it. Uh, when we talked about Monarch Cement, which we don't own, uh, you know, I talked about how I looked at 50 years of past history for that, that, you know, data. And so past history is a big part of it. Also, the industry, um, you know, so very high retention rates are important, um, very predictable. I mean, using the example of computer services, I, I don't know exactly, but probably 20, at least for the last 22 years or so, their earnings went up. Their earnings per share would have gone up every year. Sales probably went up every year. Um, you, you could even look through like the financial crisis and things like that. Um, I would say I would also add too, uh, and we spoke a little bit about this in the margin of safety episode that mm-hmm. we did a couple weeks back, and how a lot of investment managers, if you read the research reports and stuff like that, a lot of them they think they think about margin of safety where it's like okay, the stock's at ten today, and I think it's at at fifteen, right? right? And that's where their margin of safety comes from. And I think the way that we sort of add on to that is okay, the stock's at ten today, we think it could be worth fifteen, but also they have a ten percent free cash flow yield where if nothing happens, you know, in ten years theoretically, you're going to get you know the yeah. whole market cap in cash. So I think the types of businesses that we invest in add to the to the margin of safety as opposed to it just being a price thing. If that makes sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just something where you feel very certain that in, in, you know, five or 10 years or whatever you'll have, earnings will be a lot higher. It's usually things with very little competition, almost always things where they keep almost all their clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. Next question. Uh, says KLXE at eight and change. Is it time? And do you see a possible take under by management given their um, ability to buy shares personally? Maybe. Um, there's some debt at that company, so I don't know about a take under uh, how that would be done without putting more debt on it and how much debt it could be put on it, but maybe. Um, the, the biggest issue with, like, what he was talking about, is a take under. So, like, the biggest issue of, like, taking out at a cheap price would probably be you'd need debt to do it yeah. to take out the other minority shareholders because management owns shares and stuff, but it's not like they own a huge amount to be, like, I was in a stock where management owned 75 or more percent of a company. We own a stock where management owns 90% of the company. It's pretty easy for them to take out the rest of um, the shareholders without needing to raise a lot of debt. Um, That company does have debt already. Um, It's very cheap, uh, but there's some risk to it, which is that, like I said, it took on debt after the um, spinoff to do more acquisitions. And um, the business is cyclical. It doesn't always produce a lot of free cash flow in all quarters. So uh, those are the risks. Mm -hmm. Uh, The market cap is down more than the enterprise value for that reason. But yeah, it seems very, very cheap. Uh, I said before on another podcast, I don't think that we would ever buy it 
uh, or at least we want to buy it now because our biggest position is NACO. Yeah. And NACO now has a significant natural gas royalties business. Sure. And uh, just the, I don't want a lot of concentration in like um, uh, shale and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And this company, uh, as a lot of its services are in things like that, I would say it's close enough that we probably don't want to do that. Yeah. So for us, it's not great. Um, it's a more volatile, risky company than we're normally involved in. But it is a spinoff that went badly, or I guess technically it's not exactly a spinoff. It's uh, the remaining part of a business. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, but very cheap. It's very cheap. Very cheap. And that's the one that was, just so people know, we're talking about KLXE, which is KLX Energy Services, which is the spun off part of KLXI, which is the thing that Boeing bought the the rest of. The company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good job. All right. Next question. Kind of laughing here. Think about okay. He wants to know what kind of hair products do you use? <laughs> what kind of hair products do I use? I think this might be a question that's aimed at you. <laughs> like the how much do you bench press question. No, that's so funny. I'm laughing because you're bald. Um, Redken paste. There yeah, you go. for for people who don't, people who aren't watching the video. Yeah, there's not a lot of hair here. Uh, okay. Uh, next question. That's mm-hmm. funny. Um, with everything going on in the repo market, what is the likelihood of the Fed issuing another round of QE before the end of 2019? Is that a troll question? I don't know. I. I don't know the answer to that one. No, yeah. we don't have the answer to that. Um, can you talk about negative in- negative invested capital? Yes, we can talk about negative invested capital. We're going to do a podcast on uh, return capital, right? Yeah, re- yeah, the next podcast. So what? So this is going up Tuesday. So the the return on equity, return on capital, that's going to be this Thursday. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, actually, in the quarterly letter, I just talked about a company where that's the situation, yeah. which is Necker in Norway. And uh, I mentioned that we bought it for like less than cash that we paid for it, but the issue is that the cash is float some of it, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so when I talked about the business, and I was like, it's a very cyclical business, but it's a good business. Why is it a good business? Basically, it's a good business because shareholders don't have to finance it. So instead, um, you get customer money up front. And then there's a significant backlog. It sometimes takes them, uh, right now, I think they have a backlog of three or four years of work that they would need to do, and yet they have been paid for some of that in advance. And uh, because there's not a lot of property planning equipment, that means that they end up with negative um, invested capital. Mm -hmm. So the actual amount of, um, so the the company could, like for instance, if it wanted to, it could just take some of the cash it has and buy back stock. Mm -hmm. If it did that, it would end up with actual negative equity. Its book value would go negative by doing that. And uh, I've been investing in companies that did that. Uh, I owned IMS Health. I think at one time it had negative um, book value. Uh, I think that FICO may have done that, that they bought back stock that way. So it's always something that has float. The huge advantage, I mean, and it's really, really big, is if you think about it, um, during the 1900s, the average like Dow Jones type public company, yeah, okay, probably grew five to six percent a year in terms of like earnings per share, sales per share, things like that, and paid about a three percent dividend. But it was actually trading at, let's say, about 15 times earnings, something like that. So it's trading at a yield where it should be able to pay you out 6 to 7% in earnings yield. Mm-hmm. But the dividend yield's only 3%, uh-huh. because the rest of it has to be put back into the business to finance the growth. So you're, the reason why your return in a stock is 8 or 9% a year, instead of being like 12% a year, is because you're not growing 6% and getting the 6% earnings yield. You're growing 6% and only getting the dividend. 
a company that has no invested capital in the business, which is financed entirely by customers and suppliers and things like that, is one where um, it could pay you out all of its earnings in a dividend. And that makes a huge difference. And the example that I gave with like the Dow type company, if it's 6% uh, growth and has a 6% earnings yield, you pay the same price for a company like Necker, mm-hmm. right? And you'll get a 12% return instead of a 9% return. Yeah. The difference is that all of that money that would have to be reinvested actually comes out to you. And mm-hmm. in fact, it's even better than that because as it grows, it actually produces even more in free cash flow than its earnings, which is similar to like an insurance company or something. So like taking the example of Necker, its backlog is like float. Yeah. So anytime its backlog grows, actually free cash flow should exceed net income. Now, the, when the reverse happens, when they're finishing their projects faster than they're getting new orders coming in, the reverse will happen and actually um, some cash will end up not turning it. You won't get free cash flow. And we that. spoke about that. A good way to see if a business has float is if free cash if- free cash flow is more than net income, that's a good first sign to kind of dig in deeper on that. The huge warning I would give to people is um, it's incredibly valuable if you're growing. This is the same thing as like an insurance company. So insurance company float is really valuable if you grow the float over time. Mm -hmm. But if the company's like liquidating over time, then it's not an advantage at all. So Mm -hmm. it it just makes growth incredibly valuable. So growth is a lot more valuable to a company that doesn't have to reinvest its earnings. Next question. Jeff has been talking about the importance of having your own style as an investor. In what ways has Jeff changed the most as an investor during his investment career in terms of style? And how would he describe and reflect around his style today? Uh, I invest less in asset-based things, and I invest more in um, what I consider good businesses. Yeah. I'm also willing to hold a stock longer after it's gone up, probably, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Not yeah. trim it back. I, I would say that you were more probably Ben Graham, t- Graham type um, from like your old writings and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. now you're probably a little bit more on the better business side, even though you've always yeah. bought good businesses. But now mm-hmm. I think you're so focused on, you know, customer retention, long-term contracts, free cash flow generation, yep. just very durable, good businesses. And that's yeah. why I say the businesses that we invest in, it's just a, a lot of times just business as usual when we read the quarterly and, you know, just read right. about the business. I mean, I, I remember, you know, pre Jeff Gannon, when I would, when earnings would come up, I'd always be kind of, I don't want to say nervous is the right word, but you're just okay. like, I don't know what could ever happen. I don't right. know how the stock react. Could it be good? It's on expect expectations going forward and stuff yeah. like that. Where a lot of the companies that we invest in, it's just business as usual. That's yeah, it. there's not you a lot know. to say yet. Usually yeah. the quarters come out. Yep. Business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What's the most methodical way to screen for companies for value buying opportunities from the universe of stocks out there. Let's just say we limit ourselves to North America and European stock exchanges. I would say I did a video on this, which I think mm-hmm. is uh, how to screen for undervalued companies on YouTube. Definitely check it out. Yep. Um, but the way that we screen for it is, is it overlooked, right? So you could do a share turnover on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, we usually do a screen for, has the business been profitable? Uh, for example, like with net income mm-hmm. for 10 consecutive years, or you could do, has EPS grown every single year? And then you could also do an EV to EBITDA screen, yeah. or, and you could also add beta onto that too, which also goes into the overlooked bucket. Anything less than one is probably interesting. Anything that's negative is definitely interesting. Uh, but we really screen for, um, you know, is it overlooked with a share turnover and beta? Mm-hmm. Is it a good business? At least as a starting point, is it profitable? We don't want to be any unprofitable businesses. Mm-hmm. And then is it cheap? We use an EV to EBITDA screen for that. Yeah. And if you could, anything that you might miss that way, you could probably catch by EV to sales or price to book. Probably yeah, both. You yeah. probably want to do both of those. EV to sales is pretty important with making sure you don't miss a uh, stock, especially cyclical or something. Yeah. yeah. But go check out my video yeah, on YouTube. Video, yeah. uh, focus compounding. 
Okay, let's see. We have another question on return on invested capital. We will go over that for mm-hmm. our Thursday episode. How do you do projections for the next quarter, six months, or a year? Uh, I don't do projections like that, but I do think, um, basically, I think about 10 years. I try to think 10 years if possible. Um, sometimes I can only think about five years or so, but I kind of estimate what I think the growth rate and stuff will be over that time period. Usually, it's just thinking in terms of, like, is it going to grow about the same rate as inflation? Is it going to grow more, like, in line with the overall economy? Things like that. So, yeah. you know, are they going to keep their market share? I think if you have to predict future changes in market share, that's really tough. But if you know they're going to keep their customers, they're going to keep their market share for the long term, then mostly you can just project based on, like, what you expect the industry to grow in real terms and then add on inflation to that. Yeah, that's good. How do you both find and analyze special situations? Emphasize on the analysis, uh, the analysis part mostly. I would say we find them from, you know, Spinoff Monitor, mm-hmm. other blogs, ClarkStreakValue.com. Yeah, um, obviously, people bring us special situations yeah. as well, but for spinoffs, you could do that. Um, you want to hit on that? Yeah, I mean, we do part. other kinds of spinoffs. Um, we do analyze some things like liquidations and stuff like that. Um, in one of the editions of Security Analysis, Graham talks about that, about like event-driven things and a formula for doing that. And that formula is pretty good. Um, basically, you plug in the probability and the amount of time that you think it's going to take to finish and you would buy it or not. We do look at those. Uh, we passed on them. But there's a couple, like, I think two or three liquidations that we've looked at in the last year. And basically, you do a formula like that, either Graham's exact formula or one similar to it. And I just decide that there's a, the probability isn't quite a certain enough or a lot of times it's that the amount of time might be too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. What would you consider a viable minimum volume for an OTC transaction? I don't think there's any way to know that. I mean, for a transaction, there, we can f- figure that out. But in terms of by looking at the stock, I don't think you can figure it out. Um, most people think that looking at the average past volume in the stock is helpful, and we found that not to be the case, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, we've gotten stocks that the volume would say we aren't going to get, and we've gotten plenty of shares in them, and at other times we've had trouble getting them, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, we've seen trades that are, uh, I would say, so, I mean, there have been trades in a day that are probably half a year of volume, some of normal volume in an OTC stock sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are things we do that we try to guess when volume might be higher and stuff and yeah. think about whether we'd want to uh, buy around those times. Sometimes that, that doesn't help, but um, we're definitely thinking about where we would get volume for that. And, um, you know, uh, and then there's just, depending on the stock, there's also things where you might see depth on it, so you have more information about it. Sure. Uh, and we, we do that. Uh, I mentioned we were buying in Norway and e- even just using information like on the website there and stuff like that. We also had access to shareholder lists because in Norway they tell you that stuff. Um, so you make certain guesses about what might work. Um, I, I find that if you put out a lot of volume, and there's someone on the other side who wants that volume, yeah. then you might be surprised at the prices that you'll get and that get filled. And they may not even be showing that no. that like willingness to buy, but if you put it out there like in a GTC order, yeah. um, a lot of times you'll you'll be surprised what you get filled on. So Yeah. Cool. I mean if you have if you have an expectation that like, you know, half a million shares of something will trade and yet usually it's fifty thousand or something. If you know that there might be an investor who wants out or something, then you yeah. know, you put it out there and see what happens. Cool. Well, that is the last question. I want to thank everybody so much for asking those questions. If you want to ask one in the future, feel free to DM me or just tweet them to me and I will queue them and then we will pull them on the episode. That's at Focus Compound. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out our YouTube, which is Focus Compounding. Subscribe. um, And obviously, you'll get notified whenever we pump out a video. Also, go to Focus Compounding Gazette if you like free ideas and join that email list where Jeff sends out a weekly email on whatever is on his mind. I want to thank you so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you in the next podcast.
Take care. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.